Hey Downtown Church and welcome back to the 7 Minute Sunday School. This week we're talking about Exodus 13, 14 and most of 15. Last week we talked about Exodus 12 and this dramatic story of God bringing his people up out of Egypt by striking down the firstborn of every Egyptian home and giving his people the Passover feast as a way to remember their liberation from bondage. Chapter 13 opens up with another ritual that God gives his people to help them remember this crucial act of redemption whereby God redeems his people from bondage. And this is the practice of redeeming the firstborn. The idea, God says, is that the firstborn of every womb, every firstborn offspring, whether to an animal or to a human, a son in the case of humans, belongs to God in a special way. And so the firstborn of the animals are offered as sacrifices, symbolically giving them to God. And the firstborn human sons are redeemed by an animal sacrifice. The idea being this firstborn son belongs to God. And so the parents redeem that firstborn son through animal sacrifice. The purpose of this ritual, which strikes us as a little bit strange if we're honest, is to remind the Israelites again and again of what God had done in Israel. And excuse me, what God had done for Israel in Egypt. Because we remember that when God spoke to Pharaoh, he said, you have oppressed my firstborn son. You've tried to kill my firstborn son. So I'm going to strike down your firstborn son. In that passage, God refers to Israel as his firstborn child, as a community of people that has a special relationship with him. A special relationship. And when the people of God sacrifice an animal when a firstborn son is born, they are reminding themselves of that, for that special relationship. And they are also reminding themselves that because of that special relationship that God has with his people, God fought against the Egyptians, striking down their firstborn in order to bring justice and liberation for his people. This will be a sign for your generations, God says. Well, after giving them this ritual to remember God's liberation, we find out that Israel goes up out of Egypt armed like an army. They're going out boldly. They're in their hosts. They're, they look like they're ready for war, but the text tells us very clearly they're not ready for war. In fact, God is worried that they're, they're going to get afraid if they face war. And sure enough, when Pharaoh decides to chase them down, he and his nobles say, what have we done letting our slaves go? And they, they chase down the people of God. What happens is not that the Israelites finally buck up and fight for themselves. No, God descends in a pillar of cloud and fire. He defends his people from the pursuing Egyptians. You know the story. He parts the waters of the sea and the people pass through the sea on dry ground. And when the Egyptians try to pursue them into the sea, God causes their chariots to fall apart. And the, the Egyptians finally say, Oh no, we are in trouble because God the Lord is fighting for Israel against Egypt. And that, of course, is the point. Israel is winning an incredible military victory over the largest superpower in the world. And they're doing it without ever pulling out a sword. Because God is the one who fights for them. God is the one who defends them. And when Pharaoh insists that the Egyptians chase the Israelites into the sea, Moses raises his staff, the waters come back and utterly defeat Pharaoh's army, drowning his army in the, in the waters of the Red Sea. It is a dramatic victory. And the immediate result of that victory 
is that Moses and Miriam lead the people in a song of worship. We see this in chapter 15. They sing a song that celebrates God as Redeemer, the one who's brought them out of Egypt. They sing a song that celebrates God as the only true God, the God of gods and Lord of lords. They sing a song in praise for God's triumph over the Egyptians by throwing horse and rider into the sea. And they sing a song that concludes with these words, the Lord will reign forever and ever. A song in praise of Yahweh as king, a God who is in special relationship with his people and who wins victory for his people over their oppressor and slaver enemies. It's a dramatic passage. And now we have seen the conclusion of this first part of Exodus, beginning with the people's outcry of oppression and ending with the people's praise to Yahweh for his redemption and his rescue. I was recently listening to some scholars talk about this passage and they pointed out that that means the first 15 chapters of Exodus are a lot like the Psalms of Lament in the Bible. They begin with the outcry, God, where are you? Defend us, rescue us for our enemies. And they, those same Psalms of Lament so often end with the psalmist saying, God, you are great, you reign because you have answered our prayer and you have delivered a victory. Here, that movement from lament to praise is written in Israel's history. As God hears the cry of the slaves, remembers his covenant, and acts for his own glory, for his people's good, rescuing not only the Israelites, but those other members of other ethnic groups in Egypt who are willing to cast their lot with the people of God in the way out. It's a beautiful story. I encourage you this week, read chapters 13, 14, and 15. Pay attention, talk about with someone who you're, you're watching these videos with about what stands out to you. And then I want you to think about this. Where in your life and where else in scripture do we see this movement from cry of suffering, often because of injustice, moving towards God's rescue and then into praise? Think about how that pattern of moving from lament to praise you've experienced in your own life and where else you see it in scripture. And then I want you to ask yourself, how are you and how are we passing on that story to others, including our children? Because, of course, that's at the heart of this story. Through the Passover meal, through the ritual of redeeming the firstborn with sacrifice, the people of God were to make sure that this story that was their story, moving from lament to praise because of God's rescuing action, became other people's story, and especially their children's story. How do we help our children and other people in our life hear that movement? of moving from lament to praise because of God's goodness. How do we hear, help them hear that story as their story? Talk about that with those around you. We'll see you again next week.